looking at Titus chapter 3. And so if you wanted to go ahead and get in your Bibles or find that in your scriptures, um, because we're going to walk through this verse by verse, closely examining it to seeing how it can apply to our lives. Um, and the main idea that I have for us today is that God's word reminds us that because of his grace, we are to devote ourselves to good works. Right? So God's word tells us how to live. But it goes beyond just showing us how to receive salvation. It goes beyond showing us what to do um, to know who Jesus is. It's saying you have purpose. You have intent for your life. Many of you are going to school to learn a trade, to learn to get a degree so that you can find a job and have purpose. And that is very valuable and important. But today, I want us to see how God is reminding us to devote ourselves to good works. This is outside of your vocation. This is outside of um, what you're training to do, but good works towards helping and serving others. We're going to start by looking at the end, at Titus 3, verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So if you were to read all of Titus, this is the final exhortation in this entire book. Paul is saying to this church leader, Titus, help people to devote themselves to be doing good work. And he uses the phrase in 14, urgent need. So as to help those in urgent need. I want you to soak that in for a second. An urgent need. Think about your life. Where is there an urgent need around you? Maybe in your family there's an urgent need. Maybe there's an urgent need right here in this church right now. In our community, in Cyprus. There are people in need around us. The scripture is commanding us and reminding us to think about other people and needs that exist. Now think a little bit bigger. Where is there urgent need in the world? God is calling us to open our eyes to urgent needs. He's telling us to devote ourselves to good works in order to help cases of urgent need. Now, I, you know, I don't know really what's going on in y'all's lives. I, I, don't, I know some of you. I know some of the needs. I know some of the needs in this community. But I don't really know what's going on. You know. You know what your friends are going through. So therefore, the body of Christ here can help one another because we know one another. Now, I happen to have a job that allows me to see what's going on in the world. My job is I work for a Christian humanitarian aid agency. And we basically do projects around the world to help people in need. And right now, I can tell you, there are a lot of places with great need. I think of right now in Afghanistan, I just read a report that 24.4 million people, 59% of the population in Afghanistan is dependent on international aid and emergency relief from day to day. Over half the population will not survive unless somebody comes there and brings them food. That is an urgent need. In fact, I was almost brought to tears, well, 
was brought to tears when I read a report. By God's grace, our organization has been able to help there. And we, Don and I, read some reports just the other day that were heartbreaking because the need is so great. But praise God, there are groups willing to sacrifice. There are people willing to sacrifice and give funds to help people in Afghanistan. Think about Pakistan. You know, there are many Pakistanis in this city where we live, here in northern Cyprus, that have families back in Pakistan. And do you realize that a third of that country right now is underwater? A third of the country, literally, they've lost everything. Their houses are swamped with water. They are in great desperate need. That's urgent. You know, usually when someone says, I'm starving, I don't, it's not because they just, they need an extra meal. There's many people that are really starving. That's urgent. Think about orphans that don't have their parents. That's urgent need. Think about slaves and people around the world every day being mistreated and broken. That's urgent need. It gets overwhelming, doesn't it? I I mean, it's kind of heavy today. Even as we've sung through the songs today, we talked and we're singing about our sin and the need to trust in God and overcome and not fall into sin. These are heavy, heavy topics. In fact, I think probably the heaviest topic of all is that when we begin to look around, there are people, their urgent need is to know Jesus, to know Christ. Because there are people that are eternally, eternally separated from God who have never heard the gospel. That's an urgent need too, right? They need to know the truth. They need to know how to be happy in Jesus. They need to know that when they trust in Jesus, they can have eternal life. They can have help for all these troubling and tired times. There are urging, there are challenges around the world. But as we see here in the scriptures, and as we see as we look through chapter 3 of Titus, we'll be looking for ways, we'll see ways how we can be involved in helping. And so let's go ahead and look at chapter 3, verse 1. And I want you to see here ways that the Lord will teach us to meet needs around us. So first, actually, verse 14, it says, let our people learn, learn to devote themselves. How can we help urgent needs? We learn about them. How do we help massive spiritual and physical needs around us? We learn. We ask questions. We look around. We know people. We learn what's happening in our environment. We learn what's happening in our school, and we take note of it. And we learn to devote ourselves to solve those problems. Christians devote themselves to good works to help people in urgent need. Now, chapter 3 helps us to do this by giving us four things to remember. So the first point of the topic is remember to live obedient and kind lives. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. It's really interesting here in this verse is the grammar of remind, that word remind. It's in the present tense, present continuous tense in the Greek. That means always, be reminding them always. So we could read this verse to say, Titus, Paul's telling Titus, to go on, keep on reminding them. 
In essence, Paul's telling them to continually remind the church, and he's telling us, the future church, church leaders now and other believers, continually remind each other to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, continually ready to be doing good work. Why would Paul say that? Why would he use a present continuous tense that says, keep on doing this? He's basically telling church leaders, keep on telling people to be submissive, to to follow the, the rules of the authorities, to be obedient, to look for works. And I think it's because it's hard. Right? Not every world leader is a good leader. Not every ruler is a good ruler. It's hard to be submissive to places where they put burdens on us that are just not fair. You guys have taught me that a lot. Um, Being here in northern Cyprus, being in the church with you, um, I've learned that it's difficult for many of you to live here. I have learned that not everyone speaks kind words to you and is nice to you and helps you in your journey. You've taught me about living (coughs) under difficult prejudices and difficult situations in life. It's not fair for you always. And this verse is saying, even though it's not fair, remind them continually to still be submissive. Now, it's not saying if a government leader or a police officer or a teacher in your school or an employer tells you to do something that's sinful, it's not saying go be sinful. It's just saying follow the rules that are given to you. So we can't forget that the Bible never tells us to obey authorities when it sins against God, when we're called to sin against God. The scripture reminds us, even when people do things we don't like or say harmful things and treat us poorly, that we are still to follow their rules. But then look what it says next. It says, be ready for every good work. Still in verse one. Be, so submit to rulers and authorities, be obedient, be ready. I learned this lesson really strong in the last month. One of the dear brothers in our congregation got accused of things that shouldn't have been accused of and was in a situation that was very stressful. But he chose to be passive, to hold his temper. He chose to submit to rulers. And what happened is, He is a good citizen. He works hard, this believer in our church. Um, He is loved by many outside the church because he is an honest worker. And when he was in trouble, when he was accused of something, those outside came to his defense. They testified, this man is honorable. This man is full of integrity. So his good works, his helping other people came to his defense when he was struggling and being accused of something. It makes sense that if we're to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and then we should start doing work, there might come a time when our good works and community will help us in our difficult times. Reading on, um, oh, actually, thinking more about this, if you think about it perspective from a government perspective, A ruler, an authority figure, usually people show up in their minds in three ways. The first is that person who is argumentative. 
the, the rebel in society that is always going against and vocally saying, I don't like your policies. I don't like who you are. I don't like who you're, you know, I want to vote for somebody else. You're a terrible leader. And they're vocal about it. They might even cause a protest. So there's those that are complainers. Then in society, so think about a ruler. There's those in society that are unseen. They don't even know who they are. They walk right past them. They're quiet. Nobody, they don't know what they're really thinking. They're passive and do nothing. And so a ruler doesn't even know who they are. And the third category, I think, is that person or that group of people who are the workers. Maybe they're employed by a government. Um, maybe they started a community outreach program or they started a nonprofit or they started to help and are actually making society better. The government knows who they are and likes them. So if we think about the way a government works, it makes sense that our good works will help us in their eyes, help us to have a good reputation and therefore also having a good reputation for the church. So let's go on and keep reading in verse 2. It says that we are to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. This list is remarkable. In fact, it should mark us as Christians. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian outside of our salvation and being a Christ follower, it's to be doing these things. We are to be kind. It's Christian kindness. We're to speak evil of no one. We're to avoid quarreling, but to be in the position of helping solve quarrels and problems, to be peacemakers, and to love and show kindness to all people. The reason we are is because Christ teaches us to do all these things, right? If we were to look in the Scriptures further at the life of Christ, we see that He loved all people. We know that Christ's love is for all, and we want to treat others like Christ treated us, that they might be able to open to being hearing the Word of God. So when someone does something you don't like, we have the opportunity not to speak evil of them. So these verses go hand in hand. So we're to remember, the church is to remind each other, when it's tough, be submissive. Go about doing good. Don't get angry and start speaking evil towards other people. Don't start fights. Be gentle. Show courtesy towards all people, no matter who they are. We can choose. We can choose not to argue. We can choose to solve conflicts. We can choose to be gentle. We can choose to respect all men. That word, all men, I, that gets me too. All people, it says there. Again, we're reminded of this because it's hard, right? Paul is telling Titus to remind them that all people are important, to be kind towards all people. But it's hard. It's hard to be courteous to some people. Yeah, I, you know, it's easy when we're trying to be nice to people who have more than us and we want something from them, right? It's easy to be nice to people that's going to give us, make our lives easier, or maybe we want to aspire to be like them. But what about the person that is beneath? Maybe our culture, unfortunately, our cultures tell us to distrust and dislike other ethnic groups and other people. The scripture here is saying, go against culture. Be kind to everyone. This is transformative. If all of us did this every day in our schools, in our workplaces, 
being nice to everyone, even that person that just makes us mad. We are showing them. We are opening their hearts to the fact that they are seen. They are valuable. Valuable to us and ultimately valuable to God. Kind of reminds me, I think Chad, when he talked about social media not too long ago, I think it was Chad, he talked about, you know, what happens in social media? People fight, right? It's a place where uh, kind words are not said. Evil is talked about often. It's not a peaceful place. It's not respectful, but it's disrespectful. Um, What happens if everyone lived like this verse? And we showed no quarreling, and we didn't speak evil. (laughs) Maybe there would be no social media at all at that point, but it could be a better place. And if I remember right, Chad was trying to say, let's be that in that space. But this is saying, let's be that in all spaces. The second reminder is in verse 3. So the first one was to be kind. The second one is to remember what you used to be. Remember what you used to be. Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is helpful. I think it's helpful. It's helpful that we we should be reminded of who we used to be. You know, sometimes, at least I do, I get caught up in the here and now. I get caught up in what I want to do now, and I forget that Christ met me and saved me from a past. We are people who have been saved. Let's remember the person Christ saved. We may have been unlovable. We might have been argumentative. But praise be to God, He loved us anyway. So there are times when we're dealing with unpleasant people, we need to remember we might have been that unpleasant person at one point in our life. And yet God stepped down and loved us anyway. So this actually, this idea of remember what the way you used to be in verse 3, we were foolish, we were disobedient, we were led astray, we were slaves to passions and pleasures that were self-centered. We passed our days thinking about ways to to hurt other people, to get back at them. Um, We hated others maybe because they were beneath us, our culture said we should hate them, or their political views were different than ours. No, we need to remember we were that way too. And when we remember that, it helps us to have empathy and to care for other people. So Paul is encouraging us to remember the way that we used to be. So I kind of, it's interesting to me, when I think of remembering our past, I think it creates in us four um, characters, characteristics in our life that are helpful. So the first one is it creates gratitude. When we remember the work that God has done in us, it creates gratitude in us because we see how God has changed us. We need to remember and be grateful that God has changed us. He has brought us out of a miry pit. He has brought us away from our sinful life. Praise God he did that. It creates humility. When we think back on what God has done in our lives we can see that he was the one that saved us. It wasn't our own self-improvement program, our best life now program. It wasn't because we came to church every day. 
It's because he chose. He saves us. And when we think about our lives and where we were, we realize God is the one that did all the work. It creates kindness to other people who are in the same situation we once were in. When we think back on who we were, I think it should give us empathy for that difficult person we face in front of us. We might be in a situation where it's not good and the rulers and authorities are not being nice to us. We need to remember that they are steeped and lost in sin and have an eternal consequence waiting for them. But they don't deserve that. They deserve to know their creator. And so we should have kindness and empathy for them. And it creates faith in us. If God can change me, he can change that person in front of me that's causing difficulties. If God can change my life, he can change the lives of those around us who are leading or doing things that we don't like. So this, this passage here, too, is also interesting to me, is we're remembering our past. And some of you might say, well, I grew up in a Christian home. This list doesn't really apply to me. I mean, praise God if that's the case. Praise God if you grew up in a Christian home. Thank you, Jesus, for my family that taught me in the ways I should go and helped me avoid these things. But this list is dynamic. Because really, we do need to remember that at some point in our life, we did not know Christ. And we were foolish. Maybe we weren't foolish in doing illegal things or really far from God. Maybe we were just foolish in our home with our Christian parents. Maybe we were slaves to our own things and our own pleasures and weren't nice to our brothers and sisters, whatever the case. But I'm saying here is this applies to all of us. And so my hope right here is that if you are in a place where these things are real to you, I ask, I'm asking the Lord that today could be the day of your salvation. The day you say, I am all of these things. I need help. I trust you, Jesus, to save me from my sins. So it's good to remember your past. And if you're not a believer yet, it's good to think about how you are living right now. Because then the third thing we are to remember is the great salvation of God. Point number three. Titus 3, 4 through 7. So we're remembering to be obedient and kind. We're remembering um, our pasts. And we're now we're remembering and we're caused. And Titus is reminding churches all the time to remember the great salvation of God. Let's look at verse 3, 4 through 7. Or chapter 3, 4 through 7. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saves us. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see what's happening here? He's reminding us that we received our salvation when we were at our worst. Our works did not save us. Our kindness, our humanity to others, our peaceful living, none of it. It's according to mercy, right? He saves us. It's His work. 
That's the distinctiveness of the gospel of Jesus. Again, verse 4, it's of God, our Savior. Verse 5, He saved us. Um, verse 5, His righteousness. His mercy, verse 5. Of the Holy Spirit, verse 5. Verse 6, He poured out richly on us. Verse 6, Jesus. Verse 7, His grace. Verse 7, heirs. An heir receives, right? Doesn't give. This salvation is given to us by God and God alone. So let's remember that. Remember the great work that Christ has done on our behalf. He's the one that saves. Now, verse the fourth section is called, Remember to devote yourself to good works, not foolish talk. Because of our salvation, we do good works. It's that straightforward. This is a trustworthy saying, it says in verse 8. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We're saved for good works. Why do we exist on this planet? It's more than just receiving salvation. It's more than just um, living a good life for yourself. It's so that you might participate in good works. Throughout the scriptures, we see Paul saying, we are created for God to serve him. We are created as ambassadors to represent the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God. All of you in this room have a purpose. It's not only just for salvation, but to do good works because of your salvation. We're saved for good works. Now, you know, sometimes people get kind of mixed up on does work save us? No. Works are a result of our salvation. So it's a trustworthy saying to say that we are saved to do good works, but our works do not save us. So then it goes on to say, remember not to be involved in foolish talk. Avoid, verse 9, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. One way to stop a church from having an impact in a society is to get them talking and just quarreling among themselves. If the enemy can get us to worry about internal things and not go out and serve others, the enemy has been effective in stopping the church be a powerful force for changing a culture and society for good. We have to remember that. And so we can avoid that by not engaging inside this body in controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about what the Bible says and the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. Yes, we should discuss the Bible with each other, and we should study it with one another. We should allow it to change our lives, and it should challenge our thinking. But it should challenge our thinkings to go out and do good works, to move on to helping others. If we get stuck in this room, and we never talk about our faith outside this room, then the kingdom of God is not advancing, and we're not doing what Paul is reminding Titus to remind the churches to always be avoiding these things. So what about people in the church? Verse 10, I think it's kind of interesting. Verse 10 says, what about these people in the church that still keep on acting foolishly? That's really interesting. It says, as for the, per as for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice 
have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. That kind of reminds me of what we've been studying in Corinthians in our growth groups. That division that takes place in the church causes the church to be powerless and weak in in the culture. And so he's reminding us that if that is happening in your church, in your churches, there's a way to help that. You go to that brother, it says once and then twice, right? It reminds me of 1 Timothy 1.8. Let me look at that real quick. 1 Timothy 1.18. This I charge you and entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have shipwrecked their faith. Among you, among them whom are Hyannimus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme me. This is real. This is Paul is saying. If you don't hold on to the teachings and you get into these foolish talks, you're shipwrecking your faith. You are opening yourself up to fall away from God. And so as the body of Christ, we want to warn. We want to help each other not to do that. Um, And verse 10 in Titus 3 says we warn them, we help them. We don't want them to go down that path because we want us to be unified so that we can serve and help um, those in great need. So, just kind of as we begin to wrap things up, we've seen that these four things, remembering these things, they help us. But what do they help us to do? I think the first thing is, what do we do with this lesson? Like, what do we do with these passages? And I think it's very important that we always ask ourselves after a sermon, what do I, what, so what? What do I do now? How does this affect my life? And so, as a church, you know, we offer love and grace to all people. And so, there might be some of you in this room that are far from God. But I would hope you would see that in these passages, those that were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passion, that can be taken care of. Throughout the scriptures, we see places where it's, but now you have Christ. But now your past is forgiven. No matter how bad you have been, God still reaches out and loves you. It's not dependent upon your work. It's on God's work as we saw. So no matter where you are right now, you can receive salvation. You can say, he saved me. You can say, I was once this, but he loved me anyway. This verse is for you. This application, this sermon is for you to today, because the day of your salvation, that you might say, Lord, save me from my past. Save me from the foolish talk. Save me from the bitterness that I have and the divisions that I cause. Save me. (coughs) So in a moment, when we close and we have a time of silence, I want you to say, Lord, I need to be saved. Save me 
from these, my sinful past. Now some of us, we can ask the Lord, so I want you to accept the goodness and loving kindness of God, right? That's an application. Accept the goodness and loving kindness of God. The second so what to this verse, or to what do I do now, is ask the Lord to help you see the needs around you. One audience for this is the lost person, those that need salvation, who are hopeless. In the beginning, we talked about help cases of urgent need. The ultimate urgent need is that when we die, there's an eternity waiting for us, whether it's with God or without God, in heaven or in hell. That's an urgent need to get this message to as many people as possible before they perish, that they might know who their Savior is and accept the grace given to them. So we, if we have that grace in our life already, if we know that we have been saved, if He has saved us, then we need to start asking the question, Lord, help us to see the needs around us. Who needs to hear this truth? Maybe make a list. Maybe start praying for the people around you that don't know Jesus yet and ask the Lord to show you who those are. But it could be a spiritual need too. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to be ready. It says, the scripture says that we are to be ready to learn to devote themselves to good works, to be ready to do good works, to devote themselves to do good works. It says again, ready, devote, ready, learn. Are we actively seeking ways to help other people? Ask the Lord to help you do that. The third thing I want us to think about as we close in a, in a time of prayer is how can we work with our growth group to serve the needy together around us? We're not asked to go out and save the world by ourselves. We're not asked to go start a program and feed all of the, the poor people around us by ourselves. We're said, do it in community. Do it in the body of Christ. Do it in the church. So we have growth groups in neighborhoods all around this city. These growth groups are learning how to devote themselves to God and learning the scriptures. But the next logical step is to learn how to devote ourselves to do good work. What can we do around us to help the people in need? So ask the Lord in your growth group, and maybe in your growth group you can talk about how can we serve other people? How can we begin to look for those in need and meet their needs? I think we can do that as a growth group, and there's many ways that we can help. Also, talk with the church leadership on ways to serve here at the church. There's, there's all kinds of different opportunities to get involved. There's the ones we know about, helping at the door, cleaning, choir, um, setting things up, but there's also... We at the church, we're thinking, how can we serve each other in the community? And so a benevolence ministry is going to be started up in the next few months to where we will work together to serve others. And what's interesting about this is, as a church, if we go and say we want to help others who are hungry in our midst, those that need help with a meal, <coughs> excuse me, what I think will be interesting is, is that we'll be able to say all of us can participate in serving. So we're going to create a voucher system to where if you know someone who is in need and needs a bag of groceries, you can give them a, a voucher that says come to the church on whatever day we determine 
and they can come and get food to help them through the week. We're not going to open the doors and say, food kitchen here, or food pantry here. We're going to say, we're getting all the materials, and you go out and be ministers of Christ to those in need. You say, brother, can I help you? Our church has a food pantry. Here's a voucher. Can I pray for you? God loves you, and we want to help you with this physical need. So we are hopeful in the next month or two to help you be the hands and feet of Christ to serve those in need around us. So ask the Lord to show you who needs help, who can you help, who can you love on um, in the days and months to come. So remind them, the scripture said, we are continually to remember to be ready for every good work. So I want to keep these on the screen here, the now what. And I just want to have a time of silence. And as I start to pray at the end, maybe, do we have another song, right? So as I start to pray, the choir can come up, right? But I'm going to let it be silent. And as soon as I'm done praying, the choir can start singing. So look through these things. Pray these prayers now.